Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek here with Figure It Out Baseball. We've had a great Figure It Out Baseball podcast today. Uh, we're lucky enough today to be joined by TJ Wharton. He is currently the recruiting coordinator, hitting coach, and sports performance coordinator at Maryville College, which is a Division three school in Maryville, Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy with a really interesting background and, and a lot of cool stuff to get into today. Just really, really interesting, um, you know, what things that he's gone through and kind of the path that he's taken. And um, but I'll give you some background on Coach Wharton before we jump into questions with him, and then you know then we'll get to him. So he is a Lutz, Florida native, 2011 high school graduate. He started his playing career at UNC Greensboro. Uh, he was there during a, a head coaching change. Ended up transferring to Guilford Tech Community College, uh, junior college in North Carolina. At Guilford Tech, he was an all-conference and all-region player. Uh, from there, he moved on to play at Catawba College, which is a Division II school in North Carolina as well. He was there in the springs of 2014 and 15. In the, in the summer of 2014, he was one of the few players in the country lucky enough, lucky enough to play in the Cape Cod Summer Collegiate League. And uh, that season in 2014, he hit over 300 uh, in a limited amount of time there, but hit over 300 in the Cape Cod League. That's pretty darn good. Um, graduated from Catawba in 2017. After a little bit of time uh, doing some other things, in the fall of 2015, he, he worked out and coached at Catawba in 2016. He spent a year uh, playing pro ball, played for several independent league teams um, that summer. And then in 2017, officially became an assistant coach at Catawba, graduated from Catawba in 2017. Uh, 2018, the spring of 2018, he was an assistant coach at Eckerd College, which is a Division II school in St. Petersburg, Florida pretty close to home, I believe. In the summer of 2018, uh, he was a catching instructor at IMG Academy, really well-known academy in Bradenton, Florida. Um, in 2019, he was an assistant coach at St. Petersburg College, which is a Division I junior college in St. Petersburg, Florida. In the summer of 2019, he was the head coach of the Licking County Settlers in the Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League, a really good summer collegiate league, wood bat league. Uh, the team, his team finished second in the league this past summer. In August of 2019, he got his master's degree from Ohio University, got his master's degree in coaching, and he was actually hired uh, also in August to be the recruiting coordinator and sports performance coordinator at Maryville College. Coach Wharton, uh, among other things, is a certified strength and conditioning coach. I spent a, a, a other summers as a collegiate summer league coach, so he's a guy with a lot of experience, um, a, a lot of different backgrounds. Um, you know, he was also uh, something I guess I didn't mention in there. He was he was a bullpen catcher and performance science assistant for the New York Yankees. Uh, from did that, uh, you know, part in parts from November 2015 until August 2019 when he was hired at Maryville. Um, so he's he's a guy that's got experience at a lot of different levels as a player and as a coach. Uh, got a unique perspective. Got a got a, a a pretty unique background, which we'll probably get into in a little bit. Uh, but, Coach Wharton, I want to just welcome you to the podcast today, and I, I just really appreciate you spending uh, some time with us today. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's definitely quite the mouthful, and a lot of my friends uh, are always asking me, so what are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> That's so. kind of the life of the college coach, isn't it, right? I, especially as a young coach, you're kind of always bouncing around from place to place. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so definitely. It's It's uh, been a wild ride, but definitely happy to be here at Maryville. Um. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, TJ, I usually like to start with uh, some things from people's bio, but I'm with you. I'm going to start from something that doesn't show up in the bio, and I hope you don't mind talking about this. And if you do, you can certainly tell me. Um, but you had a, a little bit of a unique uh, childhood, and uh, you know, just different than most people, kind of what what you experienced, and then in going through college. But let's just start with your childhood, if you don't mind. You um, you were you live with your grandparents, right? You were raised by your grandparents as a kid? Correct, yeah. And uh, so is my wife. Uh, we met in high school. And uh, it was it was a 
One of the reasons our relationship was and is still so strong is because with the unique situation that we've both been through and are still going through. So um, my mom was a huge part of my life uh, growing up, but uh, she passed away uh, a few years ago with uh, ovarian cancer, and I still think about her every day. But um, my grandparents, I call them my parents. They're, they're still, they're, they've been there at every turn. Amazing, and whoever raises you, you know, just having people that are there for you and care about you and 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 do right things for you and and by you are, you know, are really important. And from what I know about you, TJ, TJ actually, I guess I should mention this. TJ's got uh, videos on the Figure It Out Baseball website. You can check out his catching stuff that he's got on there right now at FigureItOutBaseball.com. And I, I hope we're you know lucky enough to get some other videos from Coach Wharton in the future. But you just seem like a guy that's you know got a good head on your shoulders and it has a good perspective on things. So Obviously, your grandparents uh, did a did a very good job. So let's let's next jump to UNC Greensboro. Another kind of unique experience you got there, and you were there during a head coaching change. What was that like? If you don't mind uh, talking about that a little bit. Um, it, it was it was so uh, obviously my grandparents uh, they loved me to death, and but the only thing that I would have to say is I definitely was spoiled. Um, <laughs> we. I, I did not have too many troubles to go through my childhood, and even when I got to college, I was very blessed with everything that was given to me, and there wasn't any obstacles I had to overcome. It's just kind of just everything came pretty easy. And then uh, when Coach Jarrett came um, on staff, um, I knew some things were about to change because the scholarship I was given at the time was definitely more than my abilities were at the time. So um, I knew some things were about to happen. Uh, I wish they, the transition would have been better, but um, the, the transition from UNCG to Gilbert Tech was real quick, and it, it definitely started the ball rolling of uh, some challenges coming in my life. So, <laughs> and you, and I'm sure there are a lot of other players, you know, possibly even the, you know players that are listening to this or coaches listening to this that have that have had players go through this. You were basically pulled into the Greensboro office and told. You've got to transfer. This isn't this isn't going to work out for you, right? Yeah, and um, you know, Coach Jarrett, he's at Notre Dame now. He's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, I, I think he knows that he could have handled the situation a little better, but you need to do uh, what do you need to do to get that program off the ground? And um, as you can see, UNCG has been top five in the country for hitting for the past few years. So I mean, he definitely knew what he was doing, but. In my situation, um, it, it was definitely a little bit late and tough, but um, uh, it, was, it it just, you know, I've, I've talked to him since, and it's, it was definitely a blessing in disguise, for sure. So anyone who's going through that, just understand you just got to put your head down and uh, go on to the next step of your life. So how did you rebound from that, going to Guilford Tech? Did it, did it kind of shake your confidence a little bit, or, or how did you – you know, what, what was your personal response when you were, you know, your, your world's kind of turned upside down, you've now got a transfer, you're going to a junior college when you were supposed to be at, at this Division One school, um, you know, what, what, did that, what did that do to your confidence and how did you, how were you able to rebound from that to have a couple of really good seasons at Guilford Tech? Um, so I, pl I played one season at Guilford Tech and I, I did pretty well, um, just, uh, like I said, my support group has been huge, and I talk about that all the time. Is just having people in your life that are going to be there for you. Um, I made sure that I stayed close to Greensboro. It was only Guilford Tech, only a 15-minute drive from campus. I actually stayed in the same apartment, but um, I stayed with my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now. She was there for me every step of the way, telling me so that she knew I could make it, do better things, and the same thing with my parents. They they were always there. I mean, there's definitely times where you're going to look at it and you want to give up, but um, they are the ones that really kept me going and keeping my confidence as high as it was. That's really cool. And you got to play pro ball for a year, something a lot of guys don't get to do. And, uh, you know, same kind of thing there, if you don't mind talking about that, because I, I think there are probably people that have um, maybe a different view of pro ball. I mean, you, you played pro ball, you played for three different teams, right, in the in the summer of 20, well, from the spring to summer of 2016. Is that right, three different teams? Right. That that um, 
it was, it was definitely a wild ride. I started with uh, the Evansville Otters of the Frontier League, got cut in spring training, went to the Picos League, who people love to joke about, but honestly, that was one of the best times of my life because I actually went with uh, one of my good friends from UNC Greensboro, and uh, we both hit over 400, if that tells you what the league is like. But, um, <laughs> Doesn't that mean that you're but, just, uh, you just got a lot better as time went on? <laughs> Well, the, the one thing I love telling people is, regardless of what I, you, we could be in the room with Barry Bonds, but I can I have a better batting at professional batting average than Barry Bonds. So <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, but um, I, I after that I got the chance to go to the Ottawa Champions, play for Halimir, uh former uh, National League Manager of the Year for the Astros. Um, that was a really cool experience. That was there for a month, so. That's awesome. Uh, and then you jumped into coaching. So is, is coaching kind of something that you always uh, you always saw yourself doing when you when you finished playing, or is that something that kind of as you went on and went through, you know, you went went to three different colleges, that's something that sort of came on later for you? Uh, it definitely came on later. Um, I knew that I wanted to be involved in baseball my entire life. I knew that's something that I wanted to do. But my avenue up until I got done playing, I really thought I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach. And yeah, I am still now, but um, I'm definitely a baseball coach first. Um, and it, it's it's just more of the time that I get to spend with the athletes. I, I Don't get me wrong, I love baseball more than anything. But when you look at the amount of time that you get to spend with athletes, I mean, it's the actual coach that is there with you day in day out and that's the experience that i love yeah at lower levels you know whether or not people realize this coaches end up wearing multiple hats and you know at, at the pristine division one levels you have different people to really do about everything they raised to do and at the lower levels i know it was this way when i i coached at a couple of different junior colleges you know you are the strength coach, you're the academic advisor, you're the, you're everything. I mean, you're doing everything, you're field maintenance, you're doing, every, you're doing everything for these guys. And uh, it's a, you know, it's it's something that obviously you are totally involved in and engulfed in all the time. Um, so your your wife that's been with you for, through through pretty much all of this, uh, you know, playing career, coaching career. How do you how do you balance? you know, being married and also being at a, at a level of baseball where you do wear all these hats? How does that, how does that work just on a family dynamic? So the past couple of years when we were down, we actually moved back down to the Tampa area just to be close to our grandparents again um, while I was finishing my master's program. And those two years were pretty tough on uh, us relationship-wise just because of she was uh, the breadwinner of the house, and she was doing fantastic with her job. And but I was the one spending the most time away, and I was making virtually no money. So um, that really put a strain on my relationship. Um, but she, again, then she was the one because there's definitely times where I was just like, look, uh, you know, Taylor, I just want to, you know, I actually want to be able to provide for us. Just let me be a high school teacher, high school coach, and. Um, I can get some money on the table for us, but she's like, no way. That's not what you, that's not what I see you doing. I, I know that you're going to be a great college coach. And um, I mean, it's, I give her all the credit because if it wasn't for her, I definitely would not have made it here to Maryville. So it's uh, in almost every one of the podcasts that I record here with figured out anytime we start talking about someone's career path there, it seems like, almost every college coach has gone through that. And uh, and I don't say that for any reason than to say, like, it's not all glory to be, you know, being a college coach is really cool. And it's really cool to tell people, hey, this is my full-time job. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a baseball coach. But there's a lot of, there's a lot that comes with it that people don't realize. And I think almost every coach out there has experienced that job that, that pays peanuts and, and where you have a hard time really supporting your family. I think almost every coach has gone through saying, you know, I need to do something different. Uh, to be able to provide for my family and uh, and the coaches that stick it out almost always, especially the ones that are married, it's it's the it's the spouse that a lot of times is there to say like no, this is what this is what you need to be doing. So that's awesome to know that you have that kind of support, um, you know, and have somebody that's that's kind of been there with you through everything, uh, everything you've gone through. So Tennessee, um, 
how'd you end up in Maryville? How did that, how did that all go down? Did you know that the head coach prior or was that something you just kind of applied for out of the blue and, and got it? Well, uh, as in anything in life, it's all about connections. Um, it, it was a wild ride because I get done with my season up in the Great Lakes. Um, my wife's uh, uncle has a cabin in the Poconos, and so I drove over to Pennsylvania after the season was done, and uh, I see uh, Tyler Gillum. He has a pretty big presence in the ABCA world, um, head coach of the Savannah Bananas. He tweeted out that one of his buddies was looking for a full-time hitting coach, and it just so happened that um, the year before, I actually just, you know, randomly reached out to him on Twitter, and we had breakfast and created that relationship. So once I tw- uh, saw that tweet, I reached out to him, and he's like, no way, you're the perfect guy for the job just because you're going to be the strength coach too. And I was like, okay. And then we get into uh, – he puts us in a group chat with uh, Coach Helton here at Maryville. And then we find out that we've already met each other. We had been to a uh, uh, swiffle workout together. It's a travel ball down in the uh, Fort Myers area. And uh, that just got the ball rolling. And that's been a perfect fit ever since. And I can't thank uh, Coach Helton enough for bringing me on staff here. Yeah, there's so many times, just like you said, it, it all comes down to the relationships that you that you make and the people that you know and kind of who you're in contact with. And a lot of times somebody else hears of a job or somebody else knows of an opening and and you're kind of in the right place at the right time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, TJ, about the, the blog that you have, and I, and I want to open uh, things up on that side of things. Uh, so you've got a blog, and you, you blog about some different things that you do within the game and as a coach and, and kind of things that, that coaches deal with. Uh, what made you start that? What, was that something that uh, you had heard other coaches uh, you know, start and you thought it would be just a, a cool experience or something that you did to kind of, uh, make other people more familiar with you, or what was kind of behind getting getting that started? Um, I started this summer because um, I figured it was just another way to get my story out there. To to because one of the things with in the hiring process is it's tough hiring people you don't know. A lot of people, uh, head coaches, have the luxury of hiring people that they've worked with in the past, and that's uh, how a lot of jobs get filled. Um, so it, it was just my thought process of if I could get something out there that shows what type of coach I am and who I am as a person, it might be a little bit easier for whatever coach needs to hire me uh, so he actually has an idea of who I am. That's what got the idea rolling, but I'm also figuring out that I've had a lot more engagement with my former players from writing the blog. And it, that's been really refreshing, and it's even helped the, my relationships with the players here at Maryville. And um, the, just them knowing exactly everything that I've gone through, because I can't how many, count how many times I just say something, they're like, I had no idea you went through that. You know, because when you're going through stuff in college, it, it kind of just seems like woe is me at first, because it's like I can't believe I have to go through this. And uh, just letting the players know that everyone is going through something and there's always going to be someone going through something worse than you. And just the, the, one of the past blogs was just, you know, I'm there for you. You know, that's the biggest thing I love about being coaching is just that I can be there for these guys just whenever they need me. You, is that the draw to coaching, the relationships that you develop with players and obviously the you know baseball is is baseball it's it's what you like it's you know what you like being in but, but why coaching specifically is that the reason why you want to coach as opposed to you know scout or something like that where you're really not involved with players is is that kind of the draw to coaching for you a hundred percent um the i go back to because um coach gant at catawba college he's he's probably the best college coach in the country that no one knows about um you know he's been to in the past 10 years he's been to three world series uh my senior year we lost the national championship um but there was one moment where um it was actually in the summer of 14 when my mom passed away and you know i'm playing in a small summer league it's called the carolina virginia summer league and i get a call Two weeks after my mom passes, I'm going to the Cape Cod League. We win it all. I'm 
and I'm just on cloud nine. I never thought this would have happened. And when I get back there to Catawba in the fall, there was a moment where I had an absolute, just complete breakdown. And I had, I struck out and just everything started rushing towards me at one moment. And um, with some of the actions I did, I probably should have been thought about getting kicked off the team. I threw my bat. I was just cursing up a storm. But uh, Coach Gant knew what I was going through. And if you know Coach Gant, it, it takes a lot for him to throw an arm over the shoulder. He's, he's pretty he's tough on you, but it's because he loves you. And um, we had a long talk, and he brought me some people to talk to. And it was, it, I go back to that moment a lot about why I love coaching because of the impact that he's had on me and that, that specific moment about how huge it was in my life. So That's awesome. So who would you say has been the biggest influence on you as a, as a baseball person, you know, as, as a, now that you're in, in coaching, who's been the biggest influence on your career? Was it, was it him? Was it one of the other coaches you've had through the years was it uh you know somebody from high school uh it was definitely coach Gant because the uh amount of mixture of just the the hard-nosed old-school mentality but being on the cutting edge because um with my relationship with the Yankees we were um, I took the coaching staff to tour the minor league facility um, when I, we were down there playing in 2017, and uh, he just saw something on the wall and he decided to email them, and it, it ended up being Yakertech, one of the leaders in uh, pitch design um, or you know uh, ball tracking for pitching, and uh, he was actually one of the first colleges to ever purchase a unit. And you would see, see Coach Gant, uh, you know, he's, he's up in his 50s, but he's just he's always searching for the next thing, but also keeping that old school mentality. It's, it's, it's something to see for sure. And obviously that's a big part of the reason he's been successful, and that's the technology uh, and all the technology out there is, uh, you know, it's pretty well known that that's a big thing in pro ball. And it's it's getting more and more into all levels of college baseball, uh, and it's something that you've got a, a pretty good bit of background uh, in, correct? Just kind of working with with technology, different types of technology around around the game. In fact, I mean, you're a performance science assistant with the Yankees. Let, let me ask you first about that. What is what is a performance science assistant? What did you do with the Yankees? <laughs> I mean, it's just like anything else in my life, it's been a crazy story because. Um, what I did was I just caught bullpens. Um, I ended up catching rehab pens whenever I was home from college because there was no one at the minor league site. And, uh, my dad was good friends with the chiropractor of the Yankees, so he recommended my name. And so the one of the first pens I actually caught was uh, Domingo Herman coming off of uh, Tommy John. And um, so I, that was my main job at first. And I always was there out of season, and they went uh, kind of just, pay me as I could, but once spring training started, I had to be under contract, and they didn't have a role to give me. So it was in 2018. Um, it was spring training was about to start, so I was going around the complex saying bye to everyone. And then uh, John Kremer, uh, he was the head of the performance science department at the time, and I just he was actually the last person I said bye to. And he uh, – was just he stopped me. He's like, "Hey, uh, you know, you're not leaving. I need you. I have a job for you." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so uh, I ended up being the bullpen catcher for uh, different types of bullpens of anything using technology. But I also helped out with uh, this past year with the implementation of every the whole, every minor league hitter for the Yankees uses Diamond Connects now, and uh, I would set up Rap Soto for the bullpens in the morning, and um, I, would, I would do all those. I kind of I wore a bunch of hats while I was there, so. <laughs> really cool. So was that kind of your first introduction to a, a lot of the different tech that's out there, uh, working with the Yankees, or had you already uh, gotten some familiarity from, uh, you know, from what you had got, what, you know, different coaching stops? Um, I, I was familiar with it, but the biggest thing I noticed was um, – there, there was very few people, and still today, I would say there's 
it's it's definitely growing a lot, but there the technology has been there for a few years, but the application of it hasn't been known because when I first started with the Yankees, especially in eighteen, uh, they were taking down a bunch of uh, data points and everything like that, but the application of it wasn't very clear to me. And it wasn't until uh, 2019 that I started reading more driveline, uh, crutch performance, and um, just reading as much as I could about all this stuff that the application became uh, real to me and actually seeing quick adjustments, especially with uh, watching some of the coaches work with Rapsodo and how quick pitching adjustments they can make. It, it's fascinating. So. So can we get into that a little bit? I'd like to just talk about um, some of the different types of tech that you've been around and, and some things you're familiar with because I know that you have blogged also in the past about um, about understanding just what you're seeing because it's almost like you can really be overwhelmed with the data that you receive and, and really unless a coach knows what to do with that data, it's kind of useless. Um, so right. what's, would you rather, what do you want to talk about first? Diamond Kinetics, Rapsodo, one? Um, I can talk about Rapsodo just because I've been around people more the, that actually understand the application of it. But um, there's so many different uh, metric points or data points when looking at a Rapsodo report that uh, you have to understand how they all interact with each other. Uh, because when when uh, TrackMan first came around, all you heard was spin rate, spin rate, spin rate but now you're figuring out that spin rate is only a piece of the puzzle and that you have to look at, uh, you know, you have to look at spin direction, spin efficiency, and then you have to look at hand position using Ergotronic. So uh, these are all things that I've, I've learned over months uh, of working with the Yankees and while they were doing pitch design and listening to podcasts from Driveline and all of that. So it's, it's really tough to, you know, really pinpoint on it. But the biggest thing I can tell you, if you're going to purchase a Rapsodo unit, you got have to, you have to, like I said, in my previous blog, I said you have to go to conferences, you have to listen to or read blog posts from Driveline, how to actually use Rapsodo for pitch design, because there's so much that goes into it that, you know, you have, it's going to take months to really figure it all out. Let's even just talk about that phrase, pitch design. Um, and this is, you know, for people that maybe – I like to get into things and talk about things and give people uh, a better idea of just what, you know, what the heck we're talking about. And, and people that really may not be familiar with it, people that are just baseball fans that are interested, that may not uh, have an opportunity to really use these things. So, first of all, tell me – kind of talk about what a Rapsodo does and, and all the – what types of data a Rapsodo is collecting. Um, so Rapsodo, um, it, it is, uh, you put it in front of you, uh, 15 feet in front of the plate. Uh, it'll gather all the metric points that gathers are uh, velocity, spin rate, spin direction, uh, spin efficiency, uh, horizontal and vertical break, um, uh, release height. And uh, I know I'm missing a few, but um, the those are the ones that come on coming off the top of my head. But uh, they um, it, they all interact with each other. You can't you can't just pinpoint one of those. You have to understand how they all work together. And what does the phrase pitch design mean? I, I think it puts probably a, probably a picture in people's heads. But what does pitch design mean exactly when the when the Yankees for example, are working on pitch design with their with their pitchers. What exactly are they working on? It's so using all those metrics. There, a lot of pitchers are throwing pitchers uh, pitches that they have learned in the past and that have seen to work for them coming out of the hand, and they look like they break a lot. And um, that so just the naked eye, they look good in the past, but um, something that with Rapsodo that they've been able to use is that understanding if you have um, a high spin rate and a good spin efficiency, that you're more likely to work up in the zone 
and we would rather have most pitchers who are working up in the zone, you'd rather have a hard-breaking curveball that breaks straight down, and that goes into tunneling. Uh, and I have, if you've seen the Pitching Ninja, he, they do tunneling all the time on their Twitter page, but um, it's basically just it's making these pitches look the exact same until they're about to get to you. So that's, there's a lot of times where pitchers have elite metrics, but they're not using them to their fullest potential. And that would mean elite metrics not using to their potential. So that would mean a guy with a high spin rate, high spin efficiency, who instead of throwing his fastballs at the top of the zone, is throwing them at the bottom of the zone, or maybe doesn't have a breaking ball that really works with his fastball type. Is that what you mean by that? Correct. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. What the heck is spin efficiency? <laughs> I got a pretty good idea. <laughs> like I know I can spin rate is obviously how fast, how many RPMs, right for the ball. Uh, spin direction would right. mean, like on a clock, is the ball spinning six to twelve, or is it, you know, is it is it spinning a little bit sideways? What is spin efficiency exactly, TJ? Uh, spin efficiency is that uh, when throwing a baseball, there's two different spot, uh, types of spin that uh, affect the movement of the baseball, and there's it's transverse and gyro. Uh, transverse spin is the spin that is actually uh, being used in the direction of the baseball, and uh, gyro spin is the spin. It's spin that is not moving the baseball, so it's not it's not in in terms of actually uh, influencing the direction of the baseball. So when uh, the best example that I always tell people is that. If you have a 100% spin-efficient fastball, that means that you're throwing a true four-seam fastball. There's not going to be any movement in any sort of direction. And then once you start getting more towards the two-seam fastball, there's going to some of that spin is not going to be uh, correlated to uh, directly keeping that ball on the plane, so it's going to have a little bit of movement, and that's where the spin efficiency starts going down towards, like, the 90 and 85 direction. And it, most two-seam fastballs are uh, in the low 90s. So can, can, an, can an inefficient spin rate, or however I would say that, can that be effective? Like, can, it, is, is, can that be a good thing, or is it always a bad thing if something is, is not really efficient? No, it's not, and that's that's the biggest thing. That like, it's, it's you've got to just keep reading from the expert and figuring out what's good and what not. Um, if they if they're if you have a uh, low spin rate fastball, then it's not ideal to have 100% spin efficiency. You can have it to tail, and if you throw more of a two seam, so if your fast fastball has that like a 90%. Uh, spin efficiency, then you definitely want to be throwing uh, a slider rather than a 12-6 because those, they, they will keep on the same plane longer. And this is just stuff that I've learned from overhearing from the experts. And it seems that, and that's one of the things, um, a great follow on Twitter, he's, is actually Ian Kadish. He's the big league strength conditioning coordinator. And he was my intern coordinator uh, back in college, but it's you. This is all coming from a hitting coach, you know. And I, I truly believe that you have to understand every single facet of the game to be the best coach for your players. So, if I'm saying anything wrong, if anyone listens to this, if I'm a little <laughs> bit wrong about spin efficiency, <laughs> like please give me some forgiveness. I am a hitting coach. This is just <laughs> stuff that I've learned from down the road. And it's just to me, it's interesting just to talk about what a rap soto can do uh, and the different, just different things about it. And obviously we're talking pitching. We're, we're a couple of people that understand hitting much better probably than pitching. But I, I, like you said, I, I, I like to understand different parts of the game and I realize that uh, pitching is not a strength of mine. So I like to talk about it. I like to ask some questions about it. And um, especially a guy that's kind of been around the, the Yankee bullpen. Uh, I'm sure you've heard some things that, and other people, you know, could really could benefit from. So if you don't mind, we'll talk about – I have a couple other questions about the pitching end of it, and then I, maybe we can get into some, you know, how, how hitters use Rapsodo as well. Um, so with a pitcher, if you – if there's a, a young pitcher listening to this, high school pitcher or younger, 
who doesn't have access to a Rapsodo, how, how can a young kid who, who doesn't, you know, doesn't have this type of tech, how can he figure out what kind of a pitcher he is and what pitches he should be throwing? Because one of the things that, that you pitchers do with the Rapsodo and the pitch design thing is basically saying, okay, this is the type of pitcher you are, so this is how you can have the most success. Is that, is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Right. How can a young pitcher and, figure out uh, what kind of pitcher he is and what he should be throwing? Um, <laughs> the, my first suggestion would be just um, really focus on uh, development of velocity before you hone in on uh, trying to get your arsenal to where it needs to be because the lowest hanging fruit of any pitcher is just uh, definitely velocity. So if, if you're a young pitcher – I know it's tough training for velocity because of arm injury, but there's tons of new data out there, and that's one I didn't mention yet is uh, MODIS. And one of and one of the leaders in using MODIS is uh, Casey Muhand at Kinetic Pro Performance in Tampa. They are using uh, workload, and so I, say, I would say the two things that would be for young pitchers is look into motor sleeves to keep arm health, but you also really need to develop the velocity before you start uh, trying to really make significant changes on rap soda because um, you throw harder, the harder it is for a hitter. It's that simple. Motor sleeves. You just mentioned that for people that aren't familiar with that. What is a motor sleeve? It's a sleeve that you put on your arm, and there's a sensor in the sleeve. It sounds a little bit invasive, but you don't even notice it's on your arm. Um, and this is another rabbit hole that I've gone down with uh, Casey over at Kinetic Pro. I've gone over this probably three or four times, and we've talked for, on average, probably three hours at a time, and I'm just now getting a full grasp of this. But it measures workload, and it's finding out that the the majority of injuries of the arm are when there is a massive spike in the amount of workload that you're doing. So um, to put it in simplest terms as possible is that um, for and for the high school season and for college season, a lot of injuries happen in February because you have less than a month of practice and then you go right into games. And some pitchers are throwing up to 100 pitches and their arm's not nearly ready for it because the, the, the spike in workload is, is so high. And that's what a motor sleeve does is it monitors the amount of throws that you have and the uh, torque or basically the wear and tear it puts on your arm. Gotcha. So for hitters, have you used a – Rap Soto or Trackman or Diamond Kinetics or anything else for for hitters. Um, right, I've, this past falls, uh, I, I've been trying to use Diamond Kinetics for the past year, but I've uh, finally got the grasp on it of what I want to do. Um, so I've used Diamond Kinetics, and I've also just started using Blast. Um, those are the two two low thing fruits because they're so they're so much cheaper than. Uh, Rapsodo and Trackman, so we use those here at Maryville, and um, hopefully one day we'll be able to get Rapsodo for hitting and pitching. Um, but on the hitting front, it's it's vital to have a Rapsodo if you can, because the uh, just see how development is going if you are if you are trending in the right direction. And when using a Rapsodo. For hitting, the two main metrics that you're looking at would be um, exit velocity and launch angle because you can look at uh, different data metrics for the uh, for professional baseball and it, it, there are specific there, there are specific numbers that virtually equal home run every time and so that could be a target point for you on the because the Rapsodo metrics are live you can see them right in front of you and you know exactly what you need to get to, that you need to get to a certain launch angle and with a certain exit velocity, and that equals a home run. So, 
So your players uh, now that you've got, um, are you you sort of have something across the board that all players are shooting for as far as especially their launch angle? Obviously, exit velocity is going to be a little bit different from guy to guy. I'm sure they're trying to you know trying to get better with that. But do you have a certain launch angle that you like all players to kind of sit at, or does that depend on the type of hitter, or does that depend on the exit velocity for the player? You know, how exactly do you determine what um, the optimal launch angle is for your team, for your for individual players? Well, we don't have anything at Maryville yet to measure launch angle, uh, so that's not a huge talking point. But the ma- the main talking point that I came into our fall, which, again, was tough because it's only 16 days for Division Three that I got to work with these guys. But the main thing was is that we got to get the ball in the air. And um, everyone's getting the ball in the air. No matter if you can only hit the ball 200 feet, you still have to hit that line drive or the shortstop. You know, you got to get that ball in the air. It doesn't matter if you're the smallest guy on the team, the biggest guy on the team. But the one thing I will say is uh, – using the eyes visually for a launch angle, the launch angle is definitely going to be lower for guys with less power because of that we're not aiming to for home runs. We're aiming for line drives in the gap. So if you have a higher exit velocity, the, the higher the launch angle can be because the farther it'll go. But um, just having the philosophy of getting the ball in the air um, I can go into uh, what we use diamond kinetics for with that. If you want, to, I don't want them to blend together, you know. <laughs> right. No, no, no. It's good. And it's so, mind yeah. kind of been injecting. I think when some yeah. some coaches that uh, aren't real crazy about you know some of the new new things out there, especially you know focus on launch angle. Some coaches hear about you know getting the ball in the air, and they and I think the translation to that is sometimes you know, a, a fly ball, but in your world, right. in the air just means not on the ground. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, so, so, so let's talk about, uh, you know, what you're doing with, with Diamond Kinetics and Blast and kind of the things that they measure, uh, and I'd like to talk just about how exactly you, uh, you, you know, take the data that you're getting there. So what do, what is the Diamond Kinetics and, and the Blast, uh, Blast, it's Blast Motion, right, is the, is that what it's called? Right. What are those right. measuring for you, TJ, with the hitters? Um, so they have a bunch of different metrics, and I actually went to a conference uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Slugfest, and I've actually got a lot better understanding of all the metrics. But this past fall, uh, with getting the ball in the air as a goal for our team, the one the one metric that I wanted everyone focusing on was attack angle because – it's um, that just measures whether you're swinging down or up, and uh, it's been uh, talked about since uh, the science of hitting with Ted Williams is that a slight uppercut is the best uh, approach to hitting because the ball is coming down, and you should slightly swing up to match the plane so you have the most opportunity to hit the ball. So one of our goals was for everyone to be positive in their averages with their attack angle. And um, I made a little graph with the help of Diamond Kinetics over the uh, month period that we had to work with the guys, and we did see improvement in attack angle. So that's the biggest thing we did over the fall. And um, we'll be doing um, more development in the spring. And that's that's another thing that I'm passionate about, too, is – for players who are not seeing the playing time that they need during the spring is that we're still developing them. So that's that's something else I could talk about. That's something I think good programs do a lot and something that is really difficult for players to go through is to be in a position where you're not playing. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. to, have, you know, to have coaches that clearly care about the development is, uh, is probably a really important part of the program and something that's going to definitely sustain success. Uh, I want to stick on just diamond kinetics and blast motion a little bit. Just talk about when you talk about attack angle. For someone that's not familiar with that term, uh, because that, you know every swing obviously at some point is going to come down, and at some point every swing does end up going uphill a little bit. So where exactly, mm-hmm. what part of the swing is the attack angle? What part of the swing is um, the attack? So they actually um, 
the Diamond Connects uses approach angle, which might be uh, a little bit better term because it's uh, the 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 you approaching the baseball. So the once uh, the right before you make contact with the baseball, because um, a lot of people have been taught to swing down to the baseball to uh, create the backspin, and that's where the negative atta attack angles come from. So you basically, um, I guess one way to put it is, is a lot of people are top hand strong. If you're coming straight down to the ball using um, using the top hand more like a hammer, uh, that would be create a negative attack angle. But if you're going to um, try to get the bat the barrel in the zone early and then work up to the baseball, that'll create a uh, positive attack angle. So kind of another, just a question for, for a lot of people out there who don't have access to diamond kinetics or to blast. You're just sitting in a cage using your eyes. How can a player kind of have an idea of what their attack angle is? If you're hitting off the tee or hitting BP, you know, when you're not actually measuring anything, Jay, what do you want to see your hitters doing? Like, what do you want the ball to be doing coming off their bat? Uh, if I could make it as simple as possible, I want a nice, smooth, slight uppercut to a baseball creating a line drive to the gap. Okay, so a line Whether drive will be, be to, over the infielders. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Especially at the Division three level because uh, we don't have as physically mature men as Division one does. So it's uh, as we spoke before, our launch angles are going to be significant, not significantly, but are definitely going to be average. We want them to average lower than, per se, a Division one power hitter. Okay. I think most high school players are probably in that boat, even guys that project to play in Division one when they're, 15, 16 years old, you know, they're probably uh, not, they're not as physically mature as they as they will be, and, and uh, certainly you don't want to see guys just in the box flying out, and I think that I've always thought as a hitting coach that, kind of like you said, it's, it, you know, the line drives that, that are over the over the infielder's head, that's going to work for, for everybody, mm -hmm. how hard you're hitting the ball. Uh, let's talk about development a little bit with your players there. So a, a player that you've got that uh, that's, that's not seen the field as much as they want, for, for one reason or another, um, how do you keep them engaged? How do you keep them, you know, to a, to a point where they are still hungry to come to the field and and work and get better to where they can earn their playing time? Is there any secret behind that when you're dealing with players? Um, the data has been a huge help, and um, whether it be in the weight room, uh, offensively, defensively, I try to show them. Uh, as many statistics, numbers as possible of what they need to improve and where they need to be so that it's not just open-ended. It's just like I have no idea what I need to do to the field. Um, I just I try to show them whether if someone's lacking bat speed, if, they're, if their bat is really slow through the zone. Um, something that we're going to be doing during the spring is with guys – that uh, as of now, and it definitely could change. That's the biggest thing I always iterate. It's just, if you're in this program and you start lacing balls and scrimmages, you're going to get your shot. Just because you're in your program doesn't mean you're never going to see the field. But we try to get them, if their back speed is lacking and they're really slow through the zone, we get them on a bat speed program. And that's something that using these sensors and radar guns that we can show them that you are trending in the right direction or you're trending in the wrong direction. And um, that's the whole picture. That's that's why I'm such a big believer in the whole picture because of sometimes if someone's trending down in the wrong direction on the field, if they're looking sluggish, if they're if they're uh, running slower, if they're doing all this, then, then what's happening in the weight room? Are they getting pushed too hard there? Are they not getting enough sleep? Are they... Um, is something going wrong in their life? There, it's so much more than just the certain things that's going wrong for them not seeing the field. So, it's probably a lot easier of a conversation to have with a player when you can use some numbers 
and, and really show them, like, this needs to get better if you're going to play here, as opposed to just, you know, before all this tech was really available where it was just kind of a conversation like, hey, so-and-so is better than you, and until you get better, you're not going to see the field. It's, it's just not as, as uh, specific of a conversation. So that's a, a really good thing and a good way to use the tech. Um, uh, yeah, 100%, and just actually having. So the one thing is telling what, telling them that these numbers improve and then actually giving them the full plan of what we're going to be doing helps too. Last question, TJ, uh, and then I, I will let you go. It's uh, I, I got out of college coaching after the 2014 season when you kind of heard about some of these things and you start going to tournaments and seeing TrackMan and, and you start seeing uh, spin rates from guys and you weren't really sure what you were looking at yet. Um, but as a guy who's not involved in college baseball anymore, it, it's really kind of intimidating to you know to hear about all the technology out there and, and almost like, You've got to do, I guess, not a lot of time and a lot of research and, and, and a lot just to understand all this stuff just to really be able to be the best coach you can. Do you find, you know, the, you're in the game, you're involved in it, do you find that it's intimidating that the, all the stuff that's out there and, you know, that, that other teams might be using different things or, you know, coaching in different ways that, that you guys aren't? Is it an intimidating thing to you or is it, is it something to you that is um, – it's, I don't know, maybe maybe just it's exciting because it's out there for you. Just be, you know, be honest. <laughs> 100%. I mean, you hit it on the nail. The, the past, up until this summer, I was terrified of how much I didn't know. Um, because I would get, because in my previous blog, like I said, I think it's a big thing that if you don't have this technology and you want to be a college coach, you gotta you got to pony up the money and figure out what how to do it because everyone's doing it. And I was freaking out because I had no idea. And um, if, if you're in that position and, and you're truly passionate about learning it, you have to find a way to get to a place that will allow you to sit down and just think about it for hours on end. Because when I was at Eckerd and St. Pete, um, some things that weren't mentioned is that I, I did Uber Eats. I did Lyft. I, I was uh, I worked for those last places. December at, at that last December I would I was driving for Amazon I was working 12-hour days you know and I, I never had the time to sit down and really figure it out so if if you are truly passionate about all this technology it takes time it, it, that's the only thing you say is that you have to take the time to go and read articles listen to podcasts and slowly put it all together it's awesome, and I, there's, um, you know, there, there's so much out there, and you mentioned some of the really good people to follow that you can follow on social media that kind of, you know, give you some uh, some pointers here or there or help you understand some things. And there, there's certainly a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, TJ, we could have you maybe back on another podcast and talk about some more things like this. But uh, it's certainly been great talking with you. Uh, I appreciate your perspective and someone with just a unique background. Um, and, and, and I, I believe that Maryville is going to do a lot of really good things when you're there. Uh, TJ Wharton, everybody, he's the recruiting coordinator and hitting coach, uh, as well as the sports performance coordinator at Maryville College, a Division three school in Maryville, Tennessee. Uh, he's got videos on the Figure It Out Baseball website. You can check out uh, all of his videos for free at figureitoutbaseball.com. Coach Wharton, it's been a pleasure having you here today. I sincerely appreciate your time and all the information and the, and the personal information that you shared with us today. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you having me, Jeff. This was fun.